0: Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. Wave Pool Mag. For your curiosity and stoke. Andy Ainscoff is from the north of England. Not a place you would automatically attach to surfing history. But he certainly has gone about placing a major milestone into the annals of the wave pool industry. On the 1st of August 2015, the world's first dedicated surfing wave pool opened in northern Wales, powered by Wave Gardens Lagoon technology. We sat down with Andy in the bowels of what sounded like the bowels of the pump house of Snowdonia and chatted about this expensive project. So apologies for the quality of the sound, but um, we're working our best. I've just got myself a fantastic new podcast microphone, so that'll be okay. But we can't always guarantee the quality of our guests on the other end. But what we can guarantee is that it'll be audible and it'll be great. So listen on and thanks so much again for tuning in to the Wavepool Mag podcast. Andy, so thank you so much for coming on to the Wavepool Mag podcast. Really appreciate your time. Oh no, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, it's a pleasure. Um, in the beginning, let's just go over a little bit of personal context, and um, let's go back to your your early days. How how were those?
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, like great, great memories of childhood, and uh, like no, it wasn't really it wasn't a childhood filled with surfing. I grew up in a little place called Wigan. It's like near Manchester. Uh, yeah, pretty landlocked, but quite uh, rural as well. Uh, so yeah, really, really fond memories grew up with. Got three, well, I'm one of five siblings. Uh, yeah, mum, wow. dad. So yeah, big family. My dad's one of ten, uh, one of nine, sorry. So yeah, lots of uncles, aunties Yeah, real kind of family upbringing. It's great.
0: Must have been a massive family gatherings as a as a youth.
1: Oh, massive, yeah. I have cousins. I, we joke about it. Cousins that I don't even know about. Uh, uh, my, my dad's one of nine and they've all had quite a few kids themselves. So, yeah, great. Really good competitive, I suppose, growing up. you I mean, lots of team games and stuff like that, even competing within the family. So,
0: so what kind of sports did you get into when you were, when you were young?
1: Yeah, where I'm from is uh, like a real rugby league stronghold. So like Wigan, Wigan Warriors are like probably one of the most famous rugby league sides in the world um, from a little place called Wigan. Um, So yeah it was rugby, massively rugby but also I had some family that did like outdoor sports and I I had um, one like my best friend from school, his dad used to take us kayaking and climbing. Mm. So that's where my passion for like the outdoors kind of stemmed from really. So growing up I was always balancing that really because rugby I always saw like a career in and it was my biggest passion as well but I still had an interest for climbing and kayaking really at that point not as much so surfing but um.
0: because you know I'm living down here in Portugal and when I think about Manchester I don't think about the most amazing outdoor experience because it, I mean the weather must be pretty crap most of the time right
1: yeah but I, th- I think it's like the British mentality where we love to talk about the weather but we're used to it as well um so you just get the stuff on and, and you just get involved with it anyway but yeah manchester's like manchester's a city but on the outskirts of it, it's quite rural and we're right between the lake district and north wales so wow it, that's it, spectacular it's, isn't it yeah and what we talk about as a business now in north wales is that um you know, we're manchester's playground cheshire's playground uh and i suppose that was a great example of i mean our family would come to north wales to go in the mountains, to get in the countryside, uh, like like most people.
0: So do you recall your first surfing experience?
1: Yeah, first, uh, it was all downhill really after that because my first surfing experience was in Barbados, actually, on a family holiday, or the first real wave. Um, Yeah, so I was 12 uh, on a surf lesson. Uh, I caught a couple of bodyboarding, like bodyboarding a few waves before. But yeah, I remember the first surf lesson I was so... We were staying on the uh, on the west coast, and all the surf, as you probably know, is on like the east coast of Barbados, right. a little bit on the south. And mm-hmm. made my dad drive me over there for a surf lesson one day. Um, with Zed's surf school. And uh, yeah, I suppose that's where the first hook for it came from.
0: That must have been amazing, but then getting back to Manchester, or that area it must be quite difficult to find some surf, or, or is there quite a bit of surf up there?
1: Yeah you know what growing up in manchester in, in that age you wouldn't have even known that no there isn't any surf the, the, the closest surf to it is so from manchester three hours to the east is um is yeah the east coast of scarborough um going right up to scotland as well so we get plenty surf on that side very cold uh, more so in the winter though that you get the surf and again it goes colder again but then if you drive another three hours to the west you're on like uh, the west coast of england and like uh, wales so north wales so yeah all around iversaw you get plenty surf so it was only really that surfing became something i could do a little bit more regularly when i started driving 17 i used to drive i'd look at the forecast drive three hours to the east coast or three hours to the west coast to try and get some regular surf so it was looking back now i don't know how i find the time <laughs> but <laughs> as a 16 17 year old what else do you do with your weekends uh, except drive three or four hours and try and get in the water sometimes without even checking a forecast so it was yeah some hard yards to kind of learn
0: and and the temperatures were, were that challenging or, or the wetsuits were amazing enough for you to be able to withstand those temperatures
1: you know what for years bar like I said the, the the real one-off occasion at the beginning where i'd surfed in bodies in barbados my my learning to surf was done in wetsuits and four or five mil boots gloves and it was just part of it um I was a lot more used to that than I was to surfing in two mil or even board shots. So yeah, getting changed at the back of your car in five degree air temperature and probably seven, eight degree water temp was, I was just used to it really.
0: Wow. And I thought Cape Town was cold where I'm from, it was about, you know, 10 degrees. That's, that's freezing. What? Seven degrees. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And then the lagoon water here as well. in Now in the Wave Lagoon uh, goes down to like, we've had it at four degrees. In the depths of winter. Cause it's very shallow. It's fresh water, but that—that's um, mm. that, life of a British surfer, really.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And apparently, people surf up north in Scotland as well.
1: Yeah, all the way up in uh, Thurso. Um, I haven't got up there. I've surfed on the east coast of Scotland a little bit, but Thurso is like kind of what, like northwest corner of Scotland. Yeah, great waves. And it's this time of year now, September, October. It's great for it. So um, they do. Is well, it's as far north as. Not quite as Norway, but they say as cold as Norway.
0: Okay, so apart from your surfing, um, surfing career, what happened? How did you get involved in um, what? Are, like, what were your first early working experiences?
1: Yeah, so left school at sixteen, did um, an apprenticeship, advanced apprenticeship in mechanical engineering. So, like my dad's family business, or the family business was crane hire. Um, so yeah, the, the family owned six hundred cranes across the UK. Uh, mobile cranes so it was yeah fixing an apprenticeship fixing cranes driving cranes all that kind of stuff but it was after a while I don't know I loved it at the time it was great, great grounding but I was also playing semi-pro rugby um, and like I said that was still my biggest passion playing rugby league but I couldn't quite see myself working uh, in industry I wanted to work in sport somehow and um, that's when I started like outdoor instructing and that's that side of it started taking over and I really couldn't see myself doing.
0: What kind of outdoor instructing was that? Was it sort of uh, kayaking? And It was and kayaking, climbing? yeah,
1: more flat water stuff. So um, like children's lessons, introduction to rock climbing, um, high ropes courses, like team building and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I worked at a couple of different centers. Like around the UK, they, they, uh, there's lots of kind of, not leisure centers, but activity centers. So yeah, they might have a high ropes course, a lagoon for doing kayaking, canoeing, stand-up paddle boarding. Um Yeah, we did a lot with kids, a lot with stag-dos, hen-dos, so it was good, good.
0: That sounds like an amazing leisure center, so you can go and do all kinds of sports. It doesn't seem to be very prominent in other countries.
1: Yeah, it's it's people kind of fill the leisure time with it to some extent i suppose and they, they, they've been around a long time and they, i suppose they go up and down with popularity people do it to varying different standards of how well they they offer it but yeah i loved it i had really good fond memories and looking back it was quite i mean from what we ended up doing now it's just this is basically just like a bigger version of it to some extent to some extent uh as we were a bit more of a tourist attraction where there we were, for some people we were just childcare. they'd send the kids there in the summer holidays and we'd look after them, um, but rather than being I mean, sat on computers, we'd be taking them kayaking, climbing, orienteering, walking. I
0: suppose it's similar to American summer camps. Right? It,
1: yeah, it is, it is to be honest, yeah. And that's the thing with these businesses, it's hard, apart from the guys that own the business and probably work in it, work, work like mad in the summer, it's hard for them to keep too many people employed in the winter, because it does die off. And that's what I was finding. I'd, I'd done a couple of summers, uh, like three summers, extended summers. Don't get me wrong. Um, pretty much like April through till the end of September. But then it dropped off, and in the winter, just had to get like a proper job, almost. Um, yeah. So I went back into the family, working for the family, and that and like the business side of things.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, what led you to first start thinking about about wave pools?
1: Yeah. Um, we'd see well i'd seen the technology on youtube um wavelength like a big surf magazine over here i'd run stories on waveguard and this basque family that were producing this um yeah this wave pool and if you remember the really early videos of waveguard and it's got like mcfanning surfing like a one yeah, two foot wave well, yeah. <laughs> yeah black liner really kind of murky water Um just thinking how amazing it was but not like i said just seeing that like anyone else would as a fan really and thinking oh god how, how much fun would that be and then like a long story short cut short my dad had bought a site in north wales that he'd found through the crane business um in 2007 just before the recession and they were looking at what they might do with this site You I mean you weren't going to build loads of houses on it you were gonna you weren't going to get all retail on it so we started looking he started looking and I wasn't really involved at the time in what you might get on this site would you be able to sell it for leisure like a mixed development and i went along to some meetings almost for a little bit of fun as part of my learning i suppose like your dad does takes you along to things try and get you involved right. and, and we said let, let, let's what if we could get this thing off the ground as a big leisure park and all right what would we put on here would it be an artificial white water course or what would it be and we, we put in the idea of a wave pool um uh, and then that obviously grew, and we started doing feasibility studies, and we got involved with Colliers, big leisure advisor, and they also said, well yeah, great WaveGuard, and this is this great product coming out of northern Spain. Um, yeah, and it grew arms and legs from there, really.
0: Didn't it worry you then? It was in, that it was in the middle of nowhere?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, to some extent, because we, we didn't say, oh, let's build a wave pool, let's go and find a site. We already had the site, and we were looking for something to do with it. But also, nice. North Wales, although it's in the middle of nowhere, we are on the edge of the big populations like your Manchester-Liverpools, and North Wales, like like we did as kids, people come to North Wales for the holidays, and they have done since the 70s, 80s, and before. It is like the playground for Manchester-Liverpool, so we took some uh, reassurance in that, I suppose. Because
0: um, it's, it's what, about a two-hour drive from Manchester, is that right?
1: An hour and a half, really, oh, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, so... So that was it, we're, we're far enough out that you're in a real nice rural environment, you feel like you've got away from the city, but uh, not too far that people, people do day trip it um, and at the same time do one and two night kind of breaks in North Wales.
0: Okay, but let's go back to, to Wave Garden. So Collier's referred you to Wave Garden, did you immediately jump on a plane and go over to Spain and, and check it
1: out? We did really, yeah, for what it was worth, we said it, was, it would have been like twenty summer 2012, Went out to see Wave Garden, uh, met Fernando and Osama, the two brothers that kind of run that, run the job. And um, yeah, it looked quite simple to build, in all honesty. Uh, looked, it was a great product. They had some, I forget who it was now, they had some pros surfing it. We had a little go, that was quite nerve wracking.
0: <laughs> oh, well they were right there with you at the same time?
1: Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. They were on one side of the Lagoon and we got Osama trying to get me to, obviously like catch some waves on one side uh, wanting as clients to have a great experience <laughs> thinking <laughs> if they don't have a good experience there's no way they'll buy one <laughs> and there was Mick
0: Fanning on the other side
1: that's it yeah um, <laughs> what a great it was just great yeah it was um, and they were really nice fam- they were in two brothers family business like us they were at early stages like we were really so we started working then really that if we can get planning permission for the site and if we can get The funding and all this together, then we'll try and do a deal with them.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously, it must have been a massive undertaking. I mean, uh, what is the project cost? Was about fifteen million pounds or something, wasn't it? Yeah, uh,
1: closer to eighteen in the end. To eighteen. All right. Yeah, the whole development.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, mapping that all out must have been really tough. Did you did you put in colliers to help you with the with the construction phase or with the planning phases?
1: Yeah, with with the planning phases, and colliers were assisting us with. yeah getting like the business model together and just like checking that we weren't completely mad i suppose um which was yeah really good but we we took it in different stages we said well you you know what of course you've got to commit some money but let's see if we can even get planning permission at first let's see and then run in tandem with that what does the business model look like and what can we build around this as well um we're always aware that we probably need to do a big attraction, like the wave garden, and the facilities that we've got now, but probably add things at the end, so more beds, more accommodation, whether that's a hotel or lodges. So we were always aware that this would be a phased development. Um, It's what we're kind of going into now, actually, after a couple of years of running it. But yeah, we we said, well, let's give it six months, let's give it 12 months, and see where this thing goes, and like I said, you keep going, and things were falling into place, so we eventually started building in 2014.
0: But that must have been tremendously exciting in 2014 because essentially this was the, the first dedicated wave park in, in the world, right?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. So we probably surprised a little bit the interest um, that that brought, if you know what I mean. Like I said, there have been a lot of people talking about doing it. Um, and we it, at that point, it looked like we were going to get first to market. And not that that was the biggest driver, um, it wasn't really, but. I suppose it was just, we were on our own little journey and there was, like I said, other conversations about other parks um, happening, but we were just- Did Texas
0: pop up all the time?
1: Yeah, Texas, um, and they they came out during construction. Um, we met Doug Cause from those guys. So like I said, they were probably six to 12 months behind where we were in our plan. Uh, yeah, we met, met loads of people throughout it, to be honest, that were at different, varying different stages of wanting to build these things. We had, uh, Nick Woodman from GoPro come out here who he was looking to do one in California uh, and Larry Page from Google it was it was remarkable really these people coming to North wow. Wales and not only North Wales but a sleepy village in North Wales <laughs> <laughs> landing exactly. landing in helicopters on a couple of fields away yeah. to come and have a look at this thing it was just a big construction site at that point wow. uh, That's yeah, Nick Goodman came the day we opened actually and surfed the thing on his own for an hour and a half, which was just great. Really, it was yeah exciting times.
0: Because he's, I think he's the world's first surfing billionaire. I think. Nick I think he is,
1: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He was he was comparing what would it cost him to build one of these compared to maybe his flights out to Tahiti or wherever he goes uh, on a regular basis. But yeah, so yeah, it's amazing. Really, I suppose more haven't quite popped up at the rate they have but it, we're on that kind of upward curve now i think we're a lot a lot more are coming to uh, fruition
0: absolutely i mean they're popping up all over the place right now but but during during the, your construction phase did, um, did everything go according to plan was it all just easy easy pie
1: no definitely definitely not um you i think you always expect that though if you're going to do a project of this scale but there was definitely some things that jumped out at us you know what i mean it's it's quite a wet site as well this, so when I say that the ground is quite wet, we're at the bottom of a hill, hill and we're at the side of the River Conway. So, um, you know what I mean, to build this thing on, on these, we're, we're in a floodplain as well, so we had to...
0: So high water level?
1: High water level, yeah, high ground water level, so you, you're digging a lagoon that's basically two metres deep and your ground water level is like a metre and a half at certain points below the surface, so that's got its challenges and just getting all the sign-offs as well from local authorities so we have something called natural resources Wales, like the environment agency for here so getting the okay to take this amount of water from the reservoirs getting uh approving the filtration process because of course people swim and do all sorts in lakes rivers but the moment you start charging people to go in these water bodies it's a whole new standard and nobody nobody had seen this with a wave pool before so it, that kind of are we a are we a pool are we a natural body of water what are we so yeah it was probably the yeah. paperwork more than the physical more than the actual yeah physical problems challenges yeah. on site
0: so the water treatment must have been a very challenging thing because I know obviously a lot of lot of talk about BSR Wave Park in in Texas and they had a yeah problem there.
1: yeah it was <laughs> yeah yeah um, and and I, that scuppered Enland um, before they even got chance to open as well, do you know what I mean, just because another water park had had a problem. Um, so yeah, w- w- one of the things as well for our site is that we didn't want to use any chemicals in the lagoon, so we wanted it to be a freshwater experience. Um, we also think it's, g- it's quite good for our equipment, but um, in terms of not having chlorine in it. And it means we can discharge our water into the River Conway, so we basically borrow our water from reservoirs mm-hmm. at the end of the season or whenever we don't want it. We discharge it into the river conway um so it was quite so agreeing um, a water strategy without the use of chlorine was a challenge and something we had to work on so and also where we take our water from because it's from the mountains it's quite high in peat levels which what gives it it's kind of green color all oh, right so um you mean and then testing it weekly and all these kind of things so yeah definitely it was um
0: so what kind of process do you use to clean it? Apparently it's sort of some ultraviolet process. Yeah it is.
1: We use yeah ultraviolet UV and uh, particular filtration and we also have uh, some ultrasonic that works in the water. So we're in quite a lucky um, setting here in that we can also discharge some water. If results work too good we can discharge a bit of water and re-top up from the reservoirs that are up on the mountains which are really good quality. So the reservoirs at the top basically are shared by a power station and also um, Welsh water, which is like your drinking water, your showering water. So, um,
0: so essentially, that's sort of like cleaning cleaning the pool out because um, I wouldn't imagine that you'd use a lot of water because it's, it's static water, isn't it? You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't actually use the water itself.
1: No, no, it's yeah, it's a closed loop. Um, the lagoon, Yeah, you're not using it yourself, but you'd be amazed with the amount of like losses you get even just from evaporation. I mean, the island is three hundred metres long and one hundred metres wide, uh, and when you make like the amount of waves, you get a lot of va- uh, like it vaporizes it almost, um, and also with the filtration process. So, and then even in a smaller way, with people getting in and out in wetsuits, I mean, it's hard to quantify that one. And we have we have played with it before, but you'd be amazed at how much water you can lose.
0: Well, so would you essentially like refill it every year, just about um, at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, we do, yeah. Yeah, so we, we drain it at a certain point to, uh, like, kind of, I mean, the business here for us, in all honesty, goes very quiet in January, February. Um, it's obviously hard. It's harder for us to convince lots of beginners to get involved. I you mean, you, you know it as a surfer. You'll surf all year round. Wetsuit technology its not too much of a problem, but um, it's hard for us to sell to the masses in them months. So we drain it down, then do any maintenance and refill and kind of reopen for the spring.
0: Okay um because obviously when wave garden brought out the cove technology you must have been a bit thrown did you know they were working on it when you built Snowdonia? we
1: didn't know that they'd always talked about like diff yeah there'd be different models over the over the course of time but no they um the first i saw the cove was yeah we opened in 2015 and i probably saw it in 2016 in construction and then lucky enough to surf it in 2017 um but no, no, it wasn't really an option when we were going for it. Uh, when we were building this, I mean, it was all about the lagoon. So it, it, it's natural. I suppose there's going to be different versions or newer versions, improved versions. So it's going to be. It's a great. It is a. It's a great product. I've, I've only surfed the prototype, obviously, I've not surfed any full scale ones yet. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to see them like pop up.
0: Yeah, I think Bristol's opening um, pretty shortly.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think October. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, have you got any plans for for changing your technology in Snowdonia into a cove?
1: No, not really. Um you, you'd it's been talked about and joked about, do you know what I mean, we, but um I say joked about, do you know what I mean, it's it's always worth having the conversation, isn't it? But um we've got to see how see how that goes. Do you know what I mean, this does pretty well for what for what our purposes. You know what I mean, we need to see whether that is better technology or not. We're always half aware, it sounds like I'm just saying this but, that newer technologies would come, do you know what I mean Um, that are either better for the out and out surfer because it can give them different types of waves or bigger waves or barreling waves Uh, but for the majority of our customers um, the wave we can give them from the advanced down to the beginner level serves them a really good purpose Um, and we kind of know what we've got so
0: and, and as regarding accommodation I mean you've had glamping pods there since the get go right and and is there a new project for the Hilton Hotel
1: yeah yeah we, we, the, the pods we've had 36 of the glamping pods uh, it's really good really important for us it gives us as much as anything it gives you like an evening market as well so like obviously people staying over but also for your restaurant and your cafe so it gives that some kind of business where people like the day trippers would obviously leave to head home um, and it's it, As well about our our location, um, it's quite important we get as many mountain bikers as we do surfers kind of using our accommodation or or walkers and things like that. So whether they're filling a three day itinerary, one activity might, they might not be out and out surfers, but they're going to have a surf experience with us. But they probably brought the bikes and they go mountain biking. There's a couple of great trail routes around here. as well as maybe walk Snowdon one day. So then that, that's the thing for the hotel as well, really, is to become this destination um, that people can come to North Wales, experience whatever it is they want to do here, but stay in a little bit of luxury, but luxury that's still in keeping with our brand, I suppose.
0: Absolutely. I mean, obviously you've got an amazing concept based right out in the center of nature. Are you concerned that wave pools are going to pop in shopping centers and, and ruin the whole surf culture?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know, yeah, it would be interesting, won't it? Um, I don't know if they will, I don't know if wave pools are ever really going to ruin the whole surf culture. I think you've we've got some guys here that just come and surf the wave pool and they, they have no interest in driving to the beach, waiting for tides, waiting for the wind to stop. Uh, no, no interest. Um, we've some guys that have learned to surf here and they have taken it to the beach and probably more passionate about surfing at the beach like the rest of us, but this is a great fix for them and a great tool for them learning and improving. Um, I'm not sure if you're surfing, like you said, in out-and-out cities um, with maybe skyscrapers. You're still going to get your waves and your turns in, but is it going to be as enjoyable? Probably, probably not, is it?
0: Plan. I saw a plan for one in Madrid, and it just it just looks like a, a proper uh, shopping centre with a wave pool in the middle of it. And I just thought, it's not really going to blow my boat.
1: No, no, I, I'm not sure either. The, the thingies have done all right in that sense, haven't they? Like the, the floor rider... Um, is that the
0: term? The uh, yeah, rider, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Think hasn't it in that, them kind of things, but it, it's not surfing, is it? Strictly speaking, it's still the yeah. same. I mean, I've probably surfed this lagoon more than anyone, and I still love getting in um, our lagoon, that is. But at the same time, if the waves are working at the beach from here, I'll not be stopping to have a session here, I'll be trying to get to the beach because it's the reason you surf, isn't it? Um.
0: Exactly, you get out in nature.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: But that's, a, that's another great question. Is like, How often do you get to surf your own lagoon?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I have a slot booked uh, about five days a week. But I, I do probably get in at least, twi- at least twice and try for three times a week. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely times where you sat in the office and you think, oh, I just can't get out there. I can't. Um, <laughs> too much to do or whatever. But no, I try and make a real conscious effort to make sure I get in at least twice a week. Because otherwise, to some extent, what, what are you doing it for? And uh, the years will pass, won't you? If your surfing's like everyone expects you surfing will have like gone through the roof, which I've definitely improved. But I um, <laughs> don't want to embarrass myself when people come.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um, so what about surf contests? Because I think you've had quite a few surf contests in, uh, in Snowdonia. And I think it's generally perceived that the WSL's contest at Kelly's Wave Park was a bit boring to watch. Do you agree with that?
1: I think, um, yeah, we, we did our first competition. Like we signed up with Red Bull to do Red Bull Unleashed um, before we'd even opened. I mean, before we'd even made a wave, it was quite it was a great deal, and it was quite nerve-wracking, to be honest. So we opened in, the, in August 2015, and we did a competition in September of that year. And as an event, it was amazing. But it was the first time... The, Red Bull's whole remit for that was to do a stadium-type surfing event. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad we took the decision to do that in 2015, because... If the Kelly Slater wave cut that, obviously they launched that. Yeah, back end of twenty fifteen didn't they and did the first comp maybe last year or then we might not have got that because it really the leverage it got. Um, you know we had like two thousand people on site uh, watching that event, which for here is huge. Do you know what I mean, we had people at all angles watching the surfing, two big screens, big production like Red Bull do, um, and it allowed us to put on a competition, which I suppose is a bit quite maybe the scale of WSL but something we wouldn't be able to put on ourselves Uh, and so then we've since done the UK Pro Tour events uh, which are great again and you know what for for your local visitors they don't necessarily know understand the standard difference maybe between the best British guy and a Jack Freestone or Mitch Cruz or whoever's in that competition and I'm not saying there is huge difference but it's the level of production I think that you put around it Mm -hmm. that makes or breaks whether it's seen as a big event or not I think you're right for us we'd sooner watch J-Bay on the uh, on the webcast if it's pumping you've got the world's best there than we probably would waiting for the time between Kelly's waves and uh, and all these guys surfing exactly the same wave um
0: because yeah, I think that's the dynamic. When you have it in the ocean, you never know which kind of wave is going to come up and how it's going to break. And that's it. Isn't and it? It's about it's them picking
1: do. the better wave, isn't it, and backing themselves or waiting, leaving the first wave of the set or whatever that is, isn't it? I think that's what we all enjoy. And thinking, what what would you do? Where you don't really get that in the wave pool. Um, I think the I think the the event's probably great to be at to give them that festival style. I'm not quite sure how amazing they work on webcast mm. and how amazing they necessarily are.
0: I mean, imagine if you had a wave garden cove and you could sort of randomise the waves coming in. Then it didn't know what was coming. That might be a little bit of a different pitch.
1: Yeah, that's it, isn't it? That'll probably give it the same, like a little bit closer to the beach, won't it? Uh, kind of setting. So it's going to become part of the uh, the itinerary, isn't it? For I think for lots of different tours and different scales. So it gives the surfers a different dynamic, doesn't it? So probably.
0: Yeah, have there been talks about the future of of, um, of wave pool only surf contests and tours as such?
1: Yeah, we, we've not had too much because there's not too many pools yet, but I suppose as as the other ones open, uh, yeah, get our heads together, I suppose, to to maybe make, make something like that happen. Uh, we, we really are at the infant, infancy of it, aren't we? I think, for how many pools there is open now, compared to even what they'll say probably next year, There'll be Bristol, Melbourne, maybe others, do you know what I mean? And then two years' time, there's probably going to be 10 or 12.
0: Yeah, I think there must be something about 70 projects in, in production at this stage, or in the planning stages, at least. I mean, if you follow wavepoolmag.com, it's just crazy. Every single day, there's a, a new a new plan being released, the one just in New Zealand this week, and uh, yeah, it's going nuts. It's going yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, I think... Different projects are, uh, are going to re- be realised at different times, I suppose, because I think because of the industry we're in, the surfers, we're very passionate, we want going to get these things off the ground, but not knocking anyone for trying to get it off the ground, but the reality is they, they cost a hell of a lot of money. Um, the business models are not massively proven just yet. Um, and at the same time, you need the water, you need the electric. There's quite a few comp- different components you need. so. They're definitely more going to pop up. It'll be interesting to see how many out of like the 70 that are maybe proposed at the moment, different, there are different levels, like come to fruition and happen. Mm -hmm.
0: So have you got any advice for budding entrepreneurs out there who are dreaming about starting a wave pool?
1: Um, (laughs) no, we don't want to, no, um, I think just that you, you, you've got to really look at like the engineering side of it as much as it is so and the, and the business model side of it you know what I mean it would be so easy and the same when, when we look at our, your to-do list daily it'd be nice to just talk about like the stuff that surfing's about you know what I mean and it's a little bit harder to necessarily just look at the spreadsheets and the nitty gritty of some of those things you know what I mean everyone enjoys about what we're going to do in our surf lessons what wetsuits what kit we're going to have what's the demo fleet going to be like and all those kind of things but a lot of this so it is running a business um, and you're going to have a third few staff there's lots of health and safety involved um, but at the same time it's the reason we're involved because we've got a passion for surfing or a passion for sports and the outdoors uh, so no I, I can't knock it it's brilliant working in it and I that's, yeah encourage anyone i suppose
0: excellent yeah are you interested in building another way pool?
1: Um, yeah, maybe we've got. Um, we always keep yeah the ear to the ground on different sites and things like that. But um, first priority at the moment is to get this one really firing. So, like we, we we've been calling it Phase Two, which is this hotel we just opened, what we called Adrenaline Indoors. So, big another activity offer on this site. Um, so yeah, we that that opened in August. So that's just like doing its first season now, and then we open the hotel next year. So. Yeah, really get this site firing, but yeah, who knows? It, it would be nice to uh, expand out, I suppose, and do other sites.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, just one final question, Andy. Um, just in your in your mind, what do you think the future holds for surfing?
1: I I think I, I think it'll change to an extent, but I'm never. I'm not quite sure that um, wave pools and surfing as we know it, as everyone knows it, will become completely joined. I do think there'll be a lot of people that just just surf pools and people that surf lagoons but will only surf um sorry, surf at the beach but only surf in lagoons a very small percentage of the time. It all depends I suppose where they are in geography to where to where they live and where they surf regular. Um I think it's exciting I think surf I know you didn't ask exactly about wave pools but the crowding element, it could there's some arguments, isn't it? Is it gonna Add to crowding. Um, I think it could maybe help with the overcrowding problem. Um, I think that's that's one one risk to all of surfing, isn't it? Is are the beaches just going to get more and more crowded, or all the other Absolutely. spots just going to get found out? Found out. Forecasting's getting better and better. Mm. People stream images straight from the beach now. Don't they were before? <laughs> they might not have been able to get signal, so it's whether that's a good or a bad thing.
0: Well, we're definitely seeing that in Portugal here. Yeah, I mean, the beaches are getting really, really overcrowded and mainly because of the, the surf schools going in and just um, trying to teach people how to surf and they're just really clogging up the beaches. So if you could take that element out and get people just to learn to surf in a pool, I think that, that might help a lot.
1: Yeah, and then they only progress up. And that's it. And to them, beginners, of course, they have to go to the beach and learn that aspect of it, but can the route, like I said, weather <laughs> arguably getting in the way, um, you could learn the aspects of it in pools and you know for a lot of those guys they're not they're not adamant about carrying on learning to surf i'm going to carry it on as a as a sport and as a passion they're just doing it. it they're deciding on the day do i go for a surf lesson or do i go for a bike ride or do i go and do a zip wire somewhere whatever it's just a day it's just something to fill their day um so like you said they would be filling pools maybe rather than the beaches
0: yeah could be a good idea.
1: Yeah.
0: But, anyway. <laughs> but Andy, thanks so much. It's been it's been amazing chatting to you and it's really exciting to hear all about the story of Snowdonia. So really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, not at all. No, thanks very much. We'll speak to you Excellent.
0: soon. And good luck, yeah, for the future.
1: Yeah, cheers, mate. Yeah, thank you.
0: So there you go. That's episode two of the Wavepool Mag podcast with Andy Ainscoff from Snowdonia in Wales. It's actually called Adventure Park Snowdonia now. They originally launched with calling it Surf Snowdonia but it's now called Adventure Parks Nodonia. I thought it was really interesting getting the backstory from Andy because obviously he's been there, done that, and made the whole thing happen. So it's fascinating to hear from his point of view exactly how that went down. Um, Next week, we'll be interviewing Aaron Travis all the way from Australia, and he is responsible for surf lakes. You may well have seen this massive big Mad Max style plunger Pushing into a pool, and then uh, creating concentric waves out around into reefs. So that's a fascinating thing. He talks about him and Barton Lynch and Mark Akalupo and all those guys down there in Australia. So we'll be, um, yeah, we'll be with you next week. And if you have any comments, just please let me know. Um, I'd love to hear them. I really would. I'm thinking. I've probably said this before, but I'm thinking about doing a weekly news podcast about the wave pool industry because there's just so many so many stories breaking every single day and it'd be nice to just recap them in a, in a quick podcast. So let me know if you reckon that's a good idea or not. Okay. Um, as always, you can email me on nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com or just get in touch with us on wavepoolmag.com forward slash podcast. There'll be a link to the contact section of the website and drop us an email. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Wavepoolmag. For your curiosity and still